You're listening to the Peak Physique Podcast with Andre Adams on the NASM Podcast Network. Hey guys, welcome back. It's your boy, Andre Adams, NASM Master Trainer and IFBB Physique Olympian. I'm so excited to be back. We actually just got back yesterday from the 2023 Mr. Olympia in Orlando, Florida. All kind of good stuff was going on out there. We we actually arrived about four or five days early and, you know, we got to do some cool experiences. Uh, everything from, you know, meeting some of our good friends like Cass Gillis up at Ronnie Coleman's headquarters and doing some fun, you know, last minute workouts there and promotional work. And then, of course, for all you guys that were able to tune in or physically make it to the expo, we did the live stream. So we had all of the top Olympians, notable figures in the industry, some Hall of Fame bodybuilders and, you know, everything from predictions to breaking down, you know, day one and day two action um, and then just interviews of what it's like to be in the shoes of those top Olympians. So I want to do a nice little recap today. I'm going to break down each of those Olympia champions by category and division and share with you some insights of what the judges are looking for. What I myself as a you know former Olympian um, you know can relate to or things that we might be thinking about as these athletes were peeking out for that show. And then more importantly, what can you guys apply to your own training? Or if you're a coach, what can you integrate and what should you be thinking about in 2024, you know, for that season and, and how to apply it to your own contest preps? So let's dive right in. We are gonna kick things off with the big boys, the open Mr. Olympia championship. If you guys saw the action, it was really a toss up between those top three. And a lot of people were thinking it would be a repeat of last year where you had the reigning defending champ, Hadi Chupman, you know, formerly a very successful 212 bodybuilder who moved up into the open division and was so competitive there that he actually won the Mr. Olympia title last year narrowly against one of my good buddies, Derek Lunsford, who, again, just a genetic monster, right? Derek's got that killer mentality where he's always sharpening the saw. He's in the gym. He's doing the work. And somehow, coming from the 212 Mr. Olympia champion, Derek was able to come up into the, you know, the big arena with the open bodybuilders and not only hold his own, but actually dominate. And it's been amazing to see his journey, too, with, with different coaches. I know um, you know, right now they're working with Hani Rambod. Both of those guys are, I think they're both uh, EvaGen athletes now. And just seeing them somehow find a way to come back two to 3% better every single year. And that's that ain't done yet mindset. So uh, I think that was a, a big upset for most people, right? We were expecting Hadi to run away with the conditioning. That's one area that Derek's previously struggled. They're both mass monsters, insane proportions, you know, good symmetry, top to bottom, left to right. Um, when we talk about front to back, I think in previous years, Derek, although he had the most developed back, maybe the widest lats and X frame, um, it was one area from a conditioning standpoint that maybe he lacked just a little bit when you put him up against, you know, the top one or two in the world. But to most people's surprise, Hadi, I, I felt like personally, Hadi maybe was winning one or two of the front poses, but you could argue that Derek there was there, you know, you still had Samson in the mix. Uh, Samson's come a long way, and honestly, he's he's got to be back of mind, you know, top of mind for everybody 
in the uh, upcoming Arnold and Olympia races because he's that good. The one thing that was a little off with Samson was the conditioning through the legs. And it really showed when you put him next to Derek or Hadi, you know, on those front and side poses, you could see definitely a big gap in the level of muscle separation and conditioning. Um, and then you had some other guys, right, uh, that were always wild cards, like Brandon Curry, former Olympia champ, uh, had some medical issues, but was able to recover, get back on stage and actually bring a really impressive package, landing him into fourth place. Uh, so Derek with the big win. Congratulations. Hadi. I know he'll be back better than ever. And I, I bet you he's already in the gym working to make those improvements. And then you've got some rising stars like Andrew Jack. Um, you know, we mentioned Samson and even Tonio, other guys that have been kind of crossing over in that same pathway from 212 to open. So keep your eyes on that. Bodybuilding is back. I'm excited to see how things shake out for the 2024 season. 212 division. We had uh, definitely you know, some, uh, some big changes there too. We had a shakeup with Sean Clarita, who is, we call him the giant slayer, right? Sean, maybe not that big in stature, but boy, when you put him on stage, he really does shine. And he always brings just, you know, insane amount of muscle density. And for any bodybuilding division, right? We've got to be um, not just muscular, but you got to be dense. You've got to have the conditioning. You've got to have good X frame with a small waist. And, you know, really from head to toe, Sean has always uh, displayed each of those criteria. However, there's one guy, and this is where the genetics start to become a factor when we're at the elite of the elite level. I've always said for years, uh, you had Keon Pearson in the mix. And to me, when I first saw Keon, he debuted in Classic Physique a few years ago. He's very young, right? He didn't write, uh, I don't think he fully developed his mindset because this is a difficult sport. And I think he probably burnt himself out that first year or two. But I always said, if he could hit the conditioning of a Sean Clarita, it's game over for everybody. I don't care if you're classic physique, 212 or open, you guys got to look out, right? He's got that genetic X factor that, you know, it's like a, like a small flex wheeler, right? You, you just don't see that kind of shape every day. And this year he nailed the conditioning. This is probably the tightest and most conditioned I've seen his physique. The posing was on point. And even so, you know, there was only a couple points separating him and Sean because it's that stacked. And I do feel like for you guys that aren't familiar with the sport, there's an opportunity for us to come out early on in the prejudging, if, especially if you're in an open bodybuilding uh, division or a 212 bodybuilding. And, you know, maybe make those adjustments so that by the time finals comes around, if it's really close between one or two competitors, sometimes one competitor might fade and the other is getting a little drier, or fuller or hard, you know, more dense uh, as the day goes on. And that's definitely something that I would say unfavorably impacted Sean. I felt like the midsection, he started to lose it just a little bit by evening, not much, but he's one percent off, whereas Keon was getting tighter. You know, as they're going through their poses, you're actually seeing more separation and it was enough to land him the big win. So congratulations, Keon Pearson, on his first 212 Mr. Olympia title. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you had a lot of other Hall of Fame bodybuilders that, you know, were also in that mix, too. Uh, but definitely a great division. And that takes us to Classic Physique. So that's my current division. I actually started in Men's Physique. Uh, classic is always a fun one to watch. And I honestly, coming into this one, I really had no doubts that Chris Bumstead would repeat and, you know, he's definitely a fan favorite, but um, I don't think that should take away from 
the level of physique that he's developed. Chris has definitely taken things that maybe hindered him in the past, right? In those first couple years, I actually competed against Chris in Toronto back in 2017. And you could already see he was on his way to becoming, you know, a multiple time Olympia champion. At the time you had one man standing in his way, right? And that was uh, really Breon Ansley. Um, and Breon is just so super conditioned and dense from the back. At the time, that was kind of the gold standard. However, over the years, I think Chris, as a tough competitor, he took that as a challenge, right? If I'm losing shows from the back this year, guess what? Next year, I'm going to put so much emphasis on that. It's going to be one of my strongest points. And over the years, that's exactly what he's done. He's taken those weak points from the posing, you know, maybe um, density and detail from the back, and now made that those some of his strongest attributes. And I don't even think it was close. It was a pretty big gap between Chris and, um, you know, second place. So, uh, and second place was still Ramon, who has an incredible physique. I think just the way that his structure is, the clavicles are a little bit more narrow than Chris, right? So he's going to have to do different things to bring out more width and X factor through the lats, you know, get those outer quad sweeps a little bit wider if possible uh, to be able to hang with Chris. That's going to be a tough, uh, tough feat. You know, and anything could happen. Chris could come off, you know, come out one to two percent off at one of these shows and Ramon's, you know, two to three percent better. And and you get him on the right day and it can happen. But uh, I would say it's unlikely. Right. If, if all things being equal, they both hit their peaks each year. Um, no one gets injured. I think Chris is going to stay in that front seat. Um, and then, of course, you've got guys like Terrence Ruffin, masterful you know, artistry with the posing. Um, but he's, he's in stature, a little bit smaller than these guys. So he's got to be even more impressive than the average athlete to be able to hang with the big guys. And, uh, Wesley, Wesley Vissers has been in that mix. Breon's still hanging around in the top four. Um, but Urs, Urs has been right on everyone's heels. And I don't think a lot of people give him enough credit. Um, you know, the guy's made incredible changes to his physique over the last couple of years. And don't sleep on him because he's still knocking on that door and he might surprise a lot of people over this next year or two. All right, guys, if you're just joining us, welcome back to the Peak Physique Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Adams, NASM Master Trainer and IFBB Pro Physique Olympian. We're just recapping some of the great stuff coming out of the Mr. Olympia Contest 2023 and we covered some of the big men's divisions. We're getting down into men's physique. Another surprise, uh, maybe maybe a surprise to some. I, it was a little bit of a surprise to me, but we we shook things up. And you got a new champion in Ryan Terry. Shout out to Ryan. He has been grinding for years now, and it's it's amazing for me to watch athletes that you know I started competing with back in the day, and they're still there, right? Because you've got to have that relentless mindset, and when you consistently are making improvements, there's really no reason to stop, right? If you're healthy, you feel good, you're still coming back one to 2% better every season. I say, keep going and follow your dreams. And that's exactly what Ryan Terry has been able to accomplish. You know, now having been um, uh, an Arnold Classic champion and now a Mr. Olympia champion. And why this is significant to me is you had not just you know, dethroning the current champion in Aaron Banks, but dethroning or or beating some of his idols that he probably looked up to or aspired to in the sport. 
this was a legendary matchup where you had one of the early kings of men's physique, right? Jeremy Buendia. Um, I was a fan of Jeremy. I competed against Jeremy and it was fun to see him come back five years later and see, hey, can I still hang with these guys? And, you know, for Jeremy, for you guys that saw the photos, I think he missed his peak just a little bit. Um, you know, he was a little bit soft in the core, uh, you know, displayed the same uh, great muscle fullness through the arms, shoulders and, and back, right? Great width through the back and chest. Um, but just a little bit off on the conditioning, probably just from not peaking out for five years. And we're going to touch on peak week strategies after we do this uh, Olympia recap. But I think Jeremy, if he keeps going, I honestly believe he can take the crown back. It was refreshing for me to see some of the, I guess we're the old guys now. So some of the, uh, the more classic style men's physique posing um, as it, you know, it's evolved and it's kind of gone a different direction over the last few years. Some love it, some hate it. Um, I'm a fan of the old school. So it was fun to see that, see him bring that back. But you had Jeremy with, you know, I think five, four or five Mr. Olympia titles previously. Um, he had so many, I lost count. Then you had, you know, Brandon Hendrickson, who's got three Mr. Olympias and some Arnold Classic wins. And then, of course, E. Banks as an Arnold Classic winner and an Olympia winner. And those are the caliber of guys that Ryan Terry just beat. So that is huge. That that makes it that much more uh, monumental, in my opinion. And I'm excited to see what he can do moving forward. He's always brought some amazing conditioning. Uh, not too big, but enough muscle fullness and symmetry you know, displays good posing. And I think ultimately those are the things that landed him the big win in that men's physique circle. So let's keep going here. We've got Miss Olympia. I'm excited for this one, guys. Um, you know, if you were in the Midwest area, Milwaukee, Chicago area earlier this summer, you may have stopped by our event. We had the then three-time Miss Olympia champion, Andrea Shaw. And Andrea is just an amazing human in general. If you ever are looking for inspiration, mental toughness, motivation, you know, talk to Drea, reach out to her. And I promise you, she will give you a response. And it was such a pleasure having her physically at our gym earlier this year. And as long as I've been doing this, as long as she's been doing this, that's the beauty in it. You know, we were actually teaching each other different things in the gym. Here's how, you know, I handle my diet. Here's how um, I like to train back. Here's my favorite exercises, et cetera. And it was, it was crazy. I probably learned more in that weekend than I have in five years before, uh, just from sharing ideas with Andrea. And, you know, she was able to come back and get number four. And ironically, she put that into the universe. She actually signed our wall of fame at our gym, Snap Fitness Kenosha. And she signed it as the four-time Miss Olympia champion. So talk about law of attraction, thoughts become things. Drea put it in the universe and brought it into fruition. So um, a lot of people were a little nervous. If you saw the Rising Phoenix show about a month ago, you know, Drea performed beautifully, but she she definitely didn't want to risk peaking 100%, you know, a month out from Olympia and then risk your Olympia peak. And I'll explain why that's important in a moment. But you had Angela um, Yao right on her tail, right? Angela is definitely one of the most conditioned athletes I've seen in women's bodybuilding in a long time. And even putting her next to Drea, there's times where Angela stands out for her conditioning. At the Rising Phoenix, that was the first time we've seen them on stage together, I believe, since last year's Olympia. And Angela definitely brought her physique up. She's more muscular than prior years, more full, more muscle density. 
conditioning was just next level. Drea has a different type of physique where she's very 3D. So you've got the muscle fullness and the hardness that Angela sometimes lacks. And a lot of people were questioning, did Angela potentially match the champ or maybe even beat her in Rising Phoenix? You know, Drea got the win. I felt like Drea clearly won. But at the same time, you had to give the nod to Angela that, wow, she's right there, right? So you can't, you got to make sure if you're Drea, you don't come off at the Olympia. Well, guess what, guys? If you saw the pictures, and I encourage you to go back and, and look them up, I have never seen a back as dialed in as Andrea Shaw's at this Olympia. She put such a big gap between her and everybody else. It's, it was like watching Ronnie Coleman in the 2003 Olympia. You know, he used to have the lights out back pose. It was lights out. As soon as they turned to the back, every individual muscle, you could see detail down into the fibers. You could see striated glutes and quads. Um, everything was full and hard. She she nailed it. So hats off to Drea. In, extremely impressive win. Um, couldn't be more proud of her. So I'm looking forward to getting her on a subsequent episode of Peak Physique Podcast. So stay tuned. That will be happening over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Fitness Olympia. That was a tough one. So I, there was a lot of legends competing in the um, Miss Fitness Olympia from the a lot of people consider her the GOAT. You still got um, Adela out there too, but Oksana Grishina, definitely one of the GOATs for women's fitness. Um, making her return after being out with a calf injury last year, you had Missy Triscott, the two-time and reigning Miss Olympia champ. And then you had another good friend of ours through NASM. She was you know, one of the contributors with the PBC course, Whitney Jones, uh, three-time Miss Olympia champion, all in one show. And in, in among those, you had Arnold Classic champs, you had up-and-comers like Taylor Learmont, who just won the Legion Sports Festival. Insane level of competition and depth. And to summarize, if you guys watch the action, Oksana Grishino took home her fifth Miss Olympia title, which was beautiful to see. I'm so proud of her. Um, you know, it was amazing to watch. It would, it would be like watching Michael Jordan with the Wizards come back and win one more title just to cap off an illustrious career. And that's what we saw with you know, Oksana. So um, kudos to her. Missy Triscott may have been in a position to win her third Olympia title after winning the physique round earlier in the day. And she actually suffered a, a very bad knee injury in the fitness routine. So wishing her a speedy recovery. We're sending you lots of love and prayers, Missy. And then Whitney as well. I think Whitney, I haven't talked to her yet, but it looked like she may have suffered a dislocated shoulder or something was going on with the shoulder. So um, she finished her routine, but definitely was in, in a bit of pain by the end of it. So um, same thing, wishing you lots of love and a speedy recovery, Whitney Jones. Um, and then congrats to Taylor, too. Taylor just had her pro debut at Legion Sports. I was there. I got to witness her performance. It was insane. Next level perform performance. And she placed runner up only by a one point margin to the now five time champ, Oksana. So Taylor, keep doing it. You are going places figure no surprises there little miss sydney gillen she is the michael jordan of figure she now has i lost count but i believe it's seven consecutive miss olympia titles in the figure division one of the most difficult women's divisions on the planet and you know we still had kind of a repeat of last year so good friend jessica reyes padilla um, placed runner up she's also the reigning masters olympia champion so hats off to jess 
Um, you know, really a stacked lineup. Figure again, the talent is very deep there. Uh, Lola in third, moving up a couple positions. So definitely a stacked division. Looking forward to uh, seeing another showdown at the Arnold Classic. Um, you know, in March. So that'll be a good one. Bikini, definitely one of the most difficult divisions. Last year, there were 60 plus athletes on the Bikini Olympia stage. This year, we got it down to 49. That's still a lot of athletes. Um, but when we talk about criteria, this, I would say Bikini and Wellness might be the two most difficult because the criteria is not as easy to follow as you know, figure, or I would say women's physique or bodybuilding. Um, it's this fine balance between some of the scoring criteria, such as muscle fullness, um, conditioning, muscularity, symmetry. And it's such a specific criteria that sometimes these things look different on different people, right? Uh, so bikini, when you're looking at 49 physiques that have all won professional shows, at some point, there has to be just a little bit of subjectivity. And I think that's what we're starting to see in bikini. You got to have a, the, the total package. So you do have to have the total look, right? It's more of a model category division. Last year, there was a big upset with Maureen, who is absolutely stunning on stage. Beautiful flow, symmetry, um, less conditioned than some of the other elite athletes in the bikini division, such as our good friend, Ashley Kaltwasser, and um, you know other girls that have really developed a very athletic physique. Marine was that, but she was a little bit less conditioned and more full. And that allowed her to win the title last, last year and shift the entire direction of the division. So you guys that are coaching athletes, you always want to set your standard by looking at that reigning Olympia champion. And then we're going to take that look. And when you have an athlete that you're working with, you want to do a needs analysis. So compare your athlete front, back, side, you know, through all the poses um, there. If it's a female athlete, hair, makeup, stage look, presentation, stage poise, all these things. We're doing that needs analysis against the reigning champion. That's what the standard is for the league. And I think one misconception while we're talking about bikini, one misconception is that there's a gap that here's what a regional amateur uh, or we'll say a novice amateur athlete should look like. Here's what a national athlete should look like versus a pro or an Olympian. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. The judges really want to make sure that there's no difference in the criteria. So if you're a novice competitor, you should still be aiming to look like the pros and the Olympians. That's the goal, right? We're not going to reward anything different. Uh, the judges obviously can only judge what's in front of them. Back to bikini. Top three. We had Ashley Kaltwasser. We had Maureen. And we had um, Jennifer Dory, all former Olympia champs, Ashley with three, Marine with one, and Jen with one. And that, and then even further out, if we go further down the line, fourth place, you had Laura Lee. Um, and then I want to say fifth or sixth, you had uh, Issa, right? All of these are either Arnold Classic champions or Miss Olympia champions. So this is the level of competition that we're talking about in the bikini division. Uh, these girls are some of the absolute best in the world. And all it takes is that 1% difference. You know, you come off just a little bit, um, you know, off from your, your peak physique, pun intended, and it can drop your placing. So that was definitely a good battle to watch. Going into finals, had no idea which way they were going to lean. Uh, Maureen was looking a little bit softer through the glutes than Jen. Jen was a little bit sharper. Personally, I actually had Ashley winning from the back. I felt like she had the best balance of 
conditioning, um, enough muscularity, but everything in balance where, you know, when you went further down the line, like to Laura Lee, absolutely stunning um, athlete, right? She's got great proportions, but this year, I think she may have actually overtrained the glutes just a tad. Uh, to the point where they were disproportionately bigger than the upper thighs. So I think she may have dropped a couple places because of that. Um, but, you know, when we got into those top three, pretty even from the back. I had Ashley up just a little bit. Um, Jen, you could argue maybe winning that back pose as well. And then front pose, definitely Marine has one of the most aesthetic front poses, um, regardless of her conditioning. And that conditioning got her the win last year. I felt like from the waist down, her and Jen were evenly stacked. Um, both of them displayed a little bit more shape and more glute fullness than Ashley from the front. And the big difference was really Jen's conditioning in the core. It was not overdone this year, but everything was razor sharp. It was tight, small waist, um, you know, and that's what the judges are looking for, right? Really that hourglass shape, overall uh, femininity. And each of these girls displayed that. Jen walked away with the win, so... Excellent job, Jen. Look forward to seeing each of you athletes back in some form or fashion, either it's the Arnold or the Olympia, but I know they'll all be back with the Vengeance next year. If you're just joining us, guys, again, this is Andre Adams. We are on the Peak Physique Podcast. I'm your host, NASM Master Trainer and IFBB Physique Olympian, and also just a fan of bodybuilding. I don't know that I follow any other sports as much as I follow bodybuilding anymore, so uh, I love I love this stuff. We're going to cover one more division here and then talk about some peak week strategies. We got down into the women's physique Olympia. That was another wild card. We had this battle last year between uh, Sarah. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Villegas and Natalia Abraham Coelho. Um, I've been following her since she just started in the sport. She was very young and I've watched her physique mature and flourish into what it is today. And I was so happy last year, Natalia was able to come in, bring those quads up a little bit, always has the best conditioning on stage and actually dethrone Sarah, who seemed like an unstoppable force. And I knew it would be interesting this year because Sarah is a competitor and she's got the right mindset to take that loss, flip it and turn it into something positive. And boy, did she turn it into something positive. This year, you saw a different Sarah. She was definitely more muscular than last year. Um, on that same front, Natalia also found, you know, she managed to find a way to bring her own leg size. So the quads were a little bit more developed. She brought her own conditioning up even more. You know, the glutes were a little more full, um, you know, just different areas. I think the arms and, and shoulders were a little bit better. Sarah, I felt like was a little bit more balanced this year, uh, a little bit more full. Uh, you know, with muscle development in the arms and shoulders, always has striated glutes from the back and side poses, which helps set her apart. And then both of them expl- uh, display excellent posing. So again, very close competition. I think the judges did vote unanimously for Sarah, who pulled off the victory to reclaim the throne. And I promise you, Natalia ain't done yet. You're going to see her back with a vengeance in 2024. So stay tuned for that. And guys, that brings us to some of the strategies. Now, you've got these Olympia champions. Those are going to set the standard. If you're looking for something to compare to heading into next season, do that needs analysis, you know, put some side by sides of you and that Olympia champ and start to 
um, develop your program, your training style and stuff so that you can fix your weak points or lagging areas. You want to overdevelop those uh, to the point where you're balanced and meeting the specific criteria for the division. The other recommendation, obviously, is working with your contest prep coach and working directly with the judges. So if you've already done a show, make sure that you're getting the feedback from those judges, in particular, the head judge, so that you have you know tangible uh, guidance on things that you need to correct for next season. As far as peak weeks, when we talk about those top five to 10 at the Olympia level, oftentimes the only thing separating them are things like the way that they peaked out, the timing of when they peaked out, the overall posing and presentation on stage, uh, a lot of these little minute things that maybe set them uh, apart, right? So when we're talking peak week, you're trying to balance your approach so that you are hitting very specific criteria. Let's take the wellness division, which I, in fact, we forgot to mention that, right? Francielli repeated, uh, our good friend Cass ended up um, in sixth, maybe just a tad off on her uh, conditioning or her peak, Giselle, right? Top five. Uh, and then of course, Issa right there, neck and neck. Actually, a couple of judges gave her the nod with Francielli, but Francielli had enough to hold on to her title. Now, when we talk about that, what was the difference between like a Francielli and um, Issa's look? They're 99% similar. I would say it's that razor sharp conditioning, the fullness and tightness of the muscles. So when you're going through your peak week, the most common strategy and we'll, we'll, we'll probably have a whole episode just on peak week because there's so many different strategies you can use. Uh, but the most common one is going to be going through some form of a depletion phase early on in the week where you're water loading, right? You're dropping off your carbs. You're either holding your sodium completely flat for the week, or you might actually increase a little bit as you're water loading just to maintain your sodium balance in the body um, before dropping it off right before the show, right? So you can drop some extracellular water. So the most common strategy, seven to seven days out or so, you're going to spend two to three days doing some form of carb depletion. The purpose of that is to increase your insulin sensitivity so that when you reintroduce the carbohydrates, we spike the blood sugar. So glucose goes up, insulin kicks in, and now your body's hypersensitive to it. So when insulin kicks in, it signals to the muscle receptors to open up, shuttle in the carbohydrates into the muscles very important. Why is that very important? Well, when you're looking at an athlete with the physique of uh, a Francelli, for instance, and your main goal is fuller, tighter glutes and legs, well, you definitely want to fill that muscle up as much as possible with glycogen at the end of the week. Uh, the more full you can make the muscle, the tighter you can get the skin, right? And now there's a fine line. If you go too full, and there's nowhere else for those carbs to go. The glycogen, right? Each gram of carbs holds on to about three grams of water. If there's nowhere else for that to go, it's going to what we call spill over. Um, the, the correct term would be extracellular water retention, right? So instead of intramuscular, it's now extracellular and it's trapped between the cells and in, in the layers of the skin, right? So that's that fine line where the coaching really comes into play. The timing comes into play. Hormones come into play. Um, sodium, etc. So early on in the week, you're doing that depletion so that you can refill later in the week. At the same time as you're depleting the carbs, normally you'll start to increase your water loading. Several reasons for this as well, right? We're water loading, A, to flush your system out, but more importantly, to overstimulate the kidney and the output of 
uh, urine. So you're going to pee more frequently. And now after, let's say, three days or so of drinking that high volume of water, two to three gallons, towards the end of the week, when you start to taper your water back down, you know, a gallon or half a gallon, or some people go as small as a liter on that last day, your kidneys are still overstimulated. And it's going to help encourage natural diuresis of extracellular water. So as you're reloading those carbs, those last anywhere from one to four days of contest prep, and you're starting to cycle down your water, your kidneys are still outputting more water than you're taking in, and it's going to encourage diuresis. So when the skin starts to dry out, but the muscles are staying nice and full, the effect is similar to blowing into a balloon. If we're filling up a balloon with air, think about the, uh, the latex or the rubber of the balloon, right? As it expands, it gets thinner and tighter and tighter. And that's the concept that we're trying to do with the muscles and the skin, right? We want to fill them up and then dry out the layers of the skin to make it full and tight. That's how we're trying to achieve that crisp, uh, well-conditioned look. Now, one caveat is you have to initially be lean enough to do that in the first place, right? If you are holding a lot of extracellular fat um, or adipose tissue, you know, regardless of your peak, you're still going to be holding on to some of that. So you got to make sure that you're lean enough in the first place heading into peak week. And once you nail that conditioning, now you can get a little bit more, more aggressive with the reload. So remember, after you're done with that depletion phase, body's hypersensitive to the carbs and the insulin. So now you're going to start reloading your carbohydrates to meet very specific criteria. You might have a weigh-in, right? If you're in a an open bodybuilding class or a 212 class or a classic physique class and now men's physique. So um, not to sidetrack, but 2024, expect that you guys, there's a new rule change in place where we have to hit a certain um, weight requirement per inch of height, similar to classic physique. So now the men's physique has to do that. So you have to be a little more cautious when you're reloading the carbohydrates and playing with water uh, to make sure that first and foremost, you hit the weight so that you can compete. But the, you know, high level goal there is really filling up those muscles, making the skin a little tighter, encouraging natural diuresis of extracellular water retention, the sodium. So as you start to bring your sodium back down to normal, let's say you're about two days out or so. Now, your body's trying to find homeostasis, it's trying to um, help, you know, uh, just balance everything out. As you start to drop your sodium back off, it's going to help your body release some of that extracellular water. So that's also part of the reason that some people choose to sodium load earlier in the week. Now, if you're a bikini athlete, your goal is not to come in too hard, too dried. You don't want to be stringy. You don't want to have extra details on the muscle fibers or you'll get scored down, right? That's not part of your criteria. So all physique divisions are not created equally. So if you're in a, uh, you know, a division like bikini or wellness, then you might not do anything with your sodium, uh, very little with the water manipulation, maybe just scale back your intake, you know, the final 12 to 24 hours, just a little bit, um, just to keep you dry the day of, but you definitely don't need to go through any extremes. And here's the risk. The biggest thing that I see that athletes or coaches get wrong when they're peaking out, and I see it all the time, they look better a couple of days before or even a week out from a show, and they look better one to two days after the show what happened? Well, let's talk about that. Usually it came down to overcompensating or over manipulating the water, sodium, and carbohydrates. And what, what can sometimes happen too is a bad reaction where you do some crazy changes with, let's say, sodium and water, 
and you know you take a, a diuretic and now all of a sudden the kidney it's got that loop feedback right the kidney senses that the sodium to uh, water and then potassium all these levels are off and it produces a hormone called aldosterone so for those of you that are not familiar with aldosterone that's a holding hormone and that's going to actually force your body to hold more extracellular water especially around the core and it's going to mask some of the details in your legs and other areas of the body uh, because it's trying to hold on to water and sodium right so it, it can be counterproductive at times if you get it wrong if you miss your timing etc and a lot of times people will do that and they look a little bit spilled or, or washed out the day of the show and what happens after the show you rehydrate your water balance is back in check you know you go and have that burger and fry as a, a reward a post-show cheat meal and you wake up sunday morning and suddenly you look phenomenal right you're vascular the muscles are nice and full and grainy and it's like what the heck i look better the day after so part of it is experimenting with your timing and to do that especially if i'm doing a show like the mr olympia i would actually schedule a test peak week anywhere from two to four weeks out and that way you can try a very aggressive carb reload you can try different things you know manipulating the sodium and water maybe you try your reload two days out or four days out maybe you don't have to cut any water at all right these are all the things that you want to try not heading into a big show like the olympia you want to try them further out in a test peak week um, or just a practice show so more to come on that i think there's so much great content we can talk about in terms of peak week i'll probably bring on some special guests also uh, just to pick their brain and have some dialogue back and forth. But guys, it's always a pleasure. And if you are getting value out of this podcast series, I encourage you to please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Every week we'll be dropping new topics and you know we'll be going through uh, some more complex things and also some study tips for the PBC course will be coming up in subsequent episodes. So make sure to subscribe, share with a friend. And until next time, guys, we will see you. Ain't done yet. Peak Physique Podcast.